Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, rock stars. You are listening to episode 183 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring one of the most loved AFL players of his generation, Eddie Betts. To the pocket. Jenkins pushed for the market contest. Eddie, look out. No, no, no. <laughs> Eddie, the unbelievable. <laughs> it does not get any better than that. Eddie is a star on and off the field, warm, caring, deep thinking, and Eddie Betts spreads the love wherever he goes. His story, full of positives. A wonderful athlete who has overcome, a footballer who has thrilled and entertained every football fan out there, a man who has raised a beautiful family, much, much more. Eddie, as much as anyone I know, sees the positives in life. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by But there is also a real heaviness to parts of Eddie's story his descriptions of racism that he has faced in day-to-day life in Australia left me feeling a mix of shame, of disbelief, of disgust. It's not for me to moralise, but let's be honest here for one moment. We can be part of the problem as far as racism goes, or we can be part of the solution. Listening to Eddie, the solution revolves around education, educating ourselves, educating those we love, Educating those we work with, education. So many lost and left behind, and no one seemed to care. Those who should seem like they're blind, pretending they're not there. Can't they see they hold the key? Could make things better if they try. Oh my Jaja, tell me why won't they open up their eyes? You will hear Eddie talk about his newly launched foundation in this episode. Tune in here. A huge amount of work has gone into the operation with a wide group of stakeholders. The foundation's central aims are to create generational change and, amongst other objectives, to make a positive impact on Aboriginal and Torres Strait communities through sport and education. The foundation's a charity, so any donation over $2 is tax deductible. www.eddiebets.foundation. That is eddiebets.foundation. Please share this episode, if you could, with those you love. Here is the story of Eddie Betts III, a small man with a huge heart. So when you search and then you find and know just where to go Thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion This is an episode I have been hoping would come to fruition for over a year. This man is a former footballer. He's a father of a big clan. He's a husband. He is an author. His book is soon to be made into a TV show. He's launching his own foundation. He has done many, many things. 
Eddie Betts III. Welcome to the Howie Games. I'm pumped to have you here, great man. Thanks, Howie. Thanks for, for having me on the on the Howie Games. Looking forward to it. It's great to have you here. You, you just, it's pretty, how is life at home with your delightful wife and five children? Like, I've got two, Eddie, and I've been away for a couple of weeks and my wife has been an Uber driver. <laughs> like the beautiful Erica, she has worked that hard to get the kids where they need to go. Five. What's five like? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, having one kid is, is tough. You know, having five kids is tough. It's all the same when it comes to children. And, you know, she she's unbelievable, Anna. Um, even when I was playing footy, we had four kids when we were playing footy. And that was really tough, you know, because I would go and train every day from nine o'clock, come home at five and I would miss school drop off and she'll be the one getting up, yep. dropping the kids off. I would try to pick them up on the way home from training and so just to help out with the loads. Uh, but now that I'm finished footy, I'm not working out too long anymore. I'm just at home doing, working on other stuff, uh, which I'm really passionate about, but spending time with them. I get to drop them off. I get to pick them up and it's just, it's really good. I know I love being being a father um, because sometimes it's crazy because you get up, there's kids, the oldest ones annoying the littlest ones, they're crying and trying to get five lunch boxes ready. But we tend to do it the night before, make all the lunches the night before, get up. Kids got to be at school at 8 or 8.30. So yeah. it's it's a very fun, fun morning, but uh, sometimes it's challenging as well. So, but I, I love it. I've got the names here. you got Alice, Lewis, Billy, Maggie, and Eddie, but then I noticed in your book you said you refer to Eddie now as Sonny. Yes, so we got we got Louis. Louis the oldest; he's ten, turning eleven. Billy's eight. Um, Alice and Maggie are five, and there's nothing along the lines with twins. I don't know how. Right. Yeah, it just came out of the blue, having twin girls. Um, and then we have Sonny. He, his name's Eddie Betts, but uh, no middle name, just just Eddie Betts. But it got too confusing at home, so we just called. We we're going to officially just change his name to Sonny, right? But I didn't. The paperwork still haven't signed it yet. So I think <laughs> I think I'll just leave his name as Eddie Eddie Betts, but it's Sunny. So everywhere he goes, he's got Kindy. He's got Sunny written on. He's, he's logged in as Sunny. Okay. Lunchbox is Sunny. Bag Sunny. The twin girls call him Sunny. So it's. But he is Eddie Betts the fourth. But he's Eddie Betts the fourth. Wow. Yeah. At so. twins, tell me about that conversation. So you go, you get the ultrasound. They say congratulations. Yeah, and twins. Well, I wasn't there at the ultrasound <laughs> because we had two kids already, and, yeah. and it's, I, yeah. I think I was away. I was, right. I was away um, playing a game um, interstate when I was in Adelaide, and Anna called me, and she said, "Listen," um, and he started crying. I was like, "Oh no!" Obviously, I thought the worst yep. something might happen, and she said. There's bloody two. <laughs> I was like, Are you effing joking me? <laughs> uh, but for me, like growing up in a big family, I, I rang my, I rang my mum. She said, oh, "Oh well, more the merrier." Rang my dad, and he said, "That's that's amazing. Like more kids, the better." And I've grown up in a big family, you know, lived in a three bedroom house with eighteen siblings, eighteen cousins, uh, wow. and just living like that. I've always, I can't do with quiet. I can't do with. Um, just sitting at home because it, 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 I'm bored and it's just, uh, it's not fun for me. So I need noise. I need that hectic kind of thing. And growing up in a big family and I was like, yeah, it's great. Mm. We wanted a little girl because we had two boys at, at that time. We yeah. wanted a little girl, but they mate, are great kids. Mate, I read um, over, well, I read it when it first came out and I read it a second time in your book. I've got it here, The Boy from Boomerang Crescent. Congratulations on the book. It's uh, it's not your normal sports 
read, people should read it. It's a phenomenal journey through Australia's history and Australia's past in many ways. But I, I didn't realise you talked about if there's a guy out there, the one guy you said no to an autograph to, it was because you weren't in attendance when your wife was having one of your children. No, that was the twins. That was the twins. That was the twins. I missed the twins' birth. Right. Because um, Anna, she, we were yeah, we were playing on a sad day and she was, was um, the babies were due the next week. Yep. And um, so I said, okay, fine, let's do that. I'll go and play. Um, Friday, Saturday morning about 3 o'clock, she texted and said, something's not right, my... Um, I don't feel good. I feel like my waters are going to break. And her mother and her sister were getting on the plane Saturday morning to fly over just in case anything happened over the weekend, yep. that they will be there to support. Um, uh, and then, I, then she said, nah, it's all fine. We got to seven in the morning and she said, nah, I think something's wrong. Um, the waters have broken. I, I can't really do anything. Um, do, do you want to jump on the next plane? And I said, okay, well, I'll try to get the next plane. She rang the doctor. Where were you? I was at Albert Park, just okay. around the corner yeah, where they play. I was with Adelaide at the time. We were staying at Albert Park. And, and so Anna was back in Adelaide. Adelaide. I was back in Adelaide. Gotcha. By herself with the two older boys. Um, and I was flying. We were f- at Crows were playing St Kilda that night and flying back back home that night, um, Saturday night. And Oh, so it was only a small window. You weren't It was home. a small window. Mm. And so she went straight to the hospital. I said, all right, I'm going to look for the next plane. I'll get on. I'll miss the game. The doctor said, don't worry about it because... They'll be here by the time you get home anyway, so you're going to miss it. Huh. So it's up to you if you want to. And Anna said, just stay um, and play. You will miss it anyway. And and I was freaking out in the foyer down there. I was like, what am I going to do? And we had friends over in Adelaide that would come house. We had a um, a lady called Nana Jose, we, Josie, but we call her Nana Josie. She was the kid's kind of nanny in Adelaide because my mum was in Western Australia mm-hmm. and Anna's mum was in Wangaratta in, in Victoria here, country Victoria. So rang Nana Jose who looks after the kids for us. She came down, helped, packed up Anna, went straight to the hospital. Within 30 minutes, the kid, the twins were born and I was sitting, I was pacing. I was like, what the heck's going on? And they rang me on my phone, FaceTime. They said, here, we're, we're in labour right now. The babies are oh. coming while I'm walking around pacing. And what didn't click was is that I'm in the foyer. I should have just said, oh, listen, my my, my Wife is giving birth. Can you put me into a into a private room with, with some Wi-Fi so I could watch the girls being born? I, I just didn't think so. I'm sitting in the foyer. There's people walking past. So Anna's dad rocked up because we were catching up for breakfast that morning. And so he rocked up. And I'm like, your granddaughters are, are being born. And he's like, what? And so we both sat there, me, wow. um, Anna's dad, my father-in-law, watching the birth of his granddaughters and, and my daughters and, um, yeah, it was quite quite special. Thank God for, for technology. FaceTime. And there was a dude that walked past and goes, Ed, could I could have like, no, sorry, mate, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I can't. I'm just on something. And I felt really rude because I was just firm with him because I was so focused on watching my daughters being born. I'm like, no, sorry, go, can you just go, please? I've just got this. And after the girls were born, I actually apologised to him. I actually said it on that, that night. Uh, they interviewed me after the game and I told everyone that the girls were born, Richo and Luke Darcy. Get a shout out to my wife, uh, she actually gave birth today. Oh, the mate, twins. Oh, wow, mate. Congratulations. I was actually sitting in the lobby when she called me <laughs> on FaceTime watching the two, oh, mate. two little babies. Have we got a name yet for the, uh, for the twins? Uh, no name yet, but I got two beautiful daughters. And I said, oh, there was only one person who came up and I was real rude to him, so I'm sorry that <laughs> I... I'm sorry that I, I was rude because this is, this is why my twins were getting born. And then David Teed rocked up because he was obviously a coach at 
at Adelaide Crows. He was our forward line coach and we're pretty close. And he rocked up to, to see the boys, see some of the forwards that he coached at Adelaide and came over to the foyer and he saw the girls as well and said hello oh, to Anna. wow. So, yeah. But the, the funny thing, the lady, the the midwife that was in there, she was like having a phone like, now, Ed, here, this is your daughter. Now you have to kick three goals for her. Make sure that you play really well today. Not caring about that. Make sure that our Adelaide supporters. <laughs> Make sure you play well. Make and sure how you did you go? Like, how did you go with all that going on around you? How did you play? Uh, oh, we played all right. We won. I kicked okay. three goals. Oh, I so think. you did yeah. what was required then yeah, for the, the yeah. hospital staff? <laughs> did what was required for the hospital staff. I told the boys before the game, I said, listen, um, in front of everyone, I said, oh, um, Anna went into labour and we had twin girls that are healthy. Um, so as soon as I finished game, got straight to the airport, got off the plane, went straight to the hospital, went into the rooms. They were in an incubator because they were uh, came early. Yeah. So they were sitting in the incubator. So I got to cuddle my girls for the first time and, yeah, it was uh, it was special. Wow. that Didn't yeah. plan out the way that I would like no. it to plan out, but um, they're here, they're healthy and, you know, I've got five beautiful children. Which I've been told that you have taken your football exploits into coaching. Yes. Which, who are you coaching? I'm coaching the under-11s, Ashy Redback side, uh, Ashburton Redbacks. So who's playing for them? Uh, Louis, my oldest son. Right. Okay. So so obviously you've played under well, all sorts of coaches, but you played under Malthouse. You've played <laughs> Dennis under Pagan. Dennis Pagan. Yep. Um, you, you've worked under... Chris Scott down there at Geelong, the, the, the greats. What are you bringing to the table as a coach? Are you a Malthouse disciplinarian? Are you a Chris Scott go and do your training on your own approach? Or how are you, how, how, how are you <laughs> doing firm. it? Firm, oh, I'm firm. You? These kids need VIP. <laughs> right. I don't want them because I've got kids that are, they are they, they can play footy but they can't, they don't understand the game a bit and they like to step down, they kick the ground and yeah. play with themselves in the background <laughs> with the arms and like do this and... <laughs> Kick the floor. <laughs> I'm like, if you're going to do that, you can come sit on the bench. Right. Like, focus on the game, guys. <laughs> focus on the game. Listen up. And, you know, I take it very serious, but I have to give them um, just e- easy things to focus on. I mean, you know, I actually told a kid, you got to go on, um, go down to the forward pocket. And he looked at me and goes, where's the forward pocket? <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Okay. We'll just go over and stand in the goal square. When the ball comes down, chase and tackle. <laughs> and 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 your uh, lads and girls, are they Adelaide or are they Carlton? They're Geelong. They're Geelong. They're Geelong. So the, the most Tyson. recent association because yeah. Tyson's yeah, there. Yeah, because the Tyson's down there. Okay. And, um, they, they still love looking at the Adelaide Crows. I still watch the Adelaide Crows and I still watch um, Carlton as well. Yep. Which they're not doing too well. No, uh, my so, wife's a big Carlton supporter, Eddie. So, she said to say, Eddie, I love you. Dot dot dot. What's happening at the Blues? Was <laughs> what so she wanted to know. They, they, we tend to go to Geelong games. You know, when Tyson's playing, and um, they they go for Geelong. They watch Geelong games, and so that's that's where it sits at the moment. But um, yeah, these these kids, um, I actually did. I get someone to film all the games. So it's round four at the moment. I went through every single tackle. I do all that stats. You're doing a video review. I, I do a video review with them. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little, and I'll, yes. I'll, show, I'll show you each week what, what I go through. So look, I even go through. Please do. So I got all the boys, all their names. I've got their disposals all coming up, their marks, tackles, goals, points, um, which is pretty cool. I do it every week. I go through, sit at home. Watch the whole game. So you're doing the stats? I'm doing the stats. So you are champion data. I am champion data at (laughs) home. (laughs) So I do that. So I did all the tackles. Um, 
In the WhatsApp group. <laughs> I'll show you the WhatsApp group. So we're getting a bit off topic, but this is... No, no, we're not off topic. So I am sitting down in the WhatsApp group. We're right? here to talk about passions, and this is obviously one of yours. And so this is me with my boys in the change room. So I've got my laptop there. I'm sitting down. I've got some footage up. I'm mostly all, all positive. All the boys are engaged. They they're, are. They're... So Ed's showing us a photo. It, it could be Mick Malthouse and Carlton. Everyone's yeah. huddled around the laptop yep. and you're running them through it. Yeah, I'm running them through like just because every game we've, we were down. Every game we're down by two goals. But these yep. kids, they just find a way. Don't know what it is. They just find a way to just compete, chase, tackle. And I actually took a bit of Geelong game plan down there last year is that when we get it, you're not hand passing back, just go forward. You get it, you kick forward. You get it out of the hands, you don't turn backward, you turn forwards and get yardage. And then we wow. push, press the game. Press the game. So um, it's all about ter- territory for me. Um, and these kids, are, they're adapting pretty well, but uh, i got to calm my nerves. I've got to calm my nerves. I'm like yelling at them, what are you doing? Pick up. <laughs> and what's it done for your... Like any professional athlete, you get into the game originally because you love it and I understanding that there's ups and downs, there's highs and there's tough times along the way. What's it done for your love of the game going back at grassroots with kids? Who who were you 20 years ago who just played because they loved it? it? There's two parts of that. It's that the first part, it's bringing that enjoyment back for me within junior footy, grassroots footy and just watching my kids. And on the other part is like, I wish I had footage of myself playing as a young kid. Like I've, I don't have any footage of myself playing huh. and so I would want my kids to capture their moments. So when they get older, they can look at them as, as a young kid playing and kicking goals and, and making tackles and it brought that love. But the other part about it is like, why the hell did I choose to coach on 11? It's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating as hell and I'm like, man, this is... This is tough. Like I'm walking, I'm pacing down the sideline, getting more grey hairs. <laughs> oh, there's going to be coaches out there that are listening. They see, I need to up my standard. I need video reviews. I need stats. Eddie, there's so much to talk about with you. Um, but when this comes out, it will have been launched. You're launching it officially tonight on Fox Footy with Jared and Robbo. But the Eddie Betts Foundation, something you've been working towards for a long time. What is it? What does it mean to you? And how much work's gone into it? And congratulations all the work you and your team have put into it, mate. No, thanks, Howie. Yeah, we are. This is a long time coming because um, this is something that me and my family have been doing already for the last 10 years within the AFL system. Um, you know, we've got a team around us that's, you know, have lived experience and understand the barriers that we face when it comes to education and sport. And it's really just giving kids an opportunity to succeed. I mean, me growing up, I faced so many barriers when it comes to sport, when it comes to education. My father did the same. My grandfather were the same. And I just want to make it a lot easier for these kids that when they come through that, you know, getting these kids in, showing them leadership um, and just caring and making the place wherever they end up culturally safe as well. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to it. You know, for me, when I was in Adelaide, I used to sell my, my footy boots. I used to sell my jerseys because kids just couldn't afford it to, for their uniform within sports to travel away to play sports. You know, my, my brother had to sell his car. His son was a, a, a great basketball player. One of me, my brother, my first cousin, but in Aboriginal culture, we call that our, our brothers. And he had to sell his car to pay for his kids to go to Victoria country to play basketball because they just couldn't afford it. And it sent him back so much. So I want that to be me. And my foundation is to Got help that. close that gap when it comes to education, when it comes to sport. And so, and the most important thing is that it's Aboriginal owned, Aboriginal led, 
Our programs are designed by Aboriginal people to get the best outcome for our kids, to make it culturally safe for our kids. And, uh, yeah, this is this is something that I'm really looking forward to. This is my passion. You know, my my wife Anna said to me, you played 350 games, you've done all that, you've, you've you know, kicked goals, but whether you like it or not, your your job starts now and that's for your people. Hmm. And, and, and she's absolutely right. I can't sit back and watch these younger kids come through and struggle to come through. I've got a, I'm in a position now where I could help and I could help on a bigger scale with having this foundation out. And so it's, uh, it's something that I hold close to my heart and um, it's really, really special and I can't wait for it to start. I, obviously people listening will be able to understand your passion and hear your passion, which is fantastic to hear. Um, wow, I'm sure... It's just some grand plans. I'm sure it'll it'll have a massive impact. Um, you, you, you've talked a couple of times about your own family. Can you can you tell me a bit, Eddie, about your family history? Reading about it in the book, like your Eddie Betts the third. Can you tell me about the original Eddie Betts? The, the original Eddie Betts is uh, is my grandfather. Um, he, he was a special man. He he was an unbelievable footballer. He, was he? He could have. He could have. He could have played in the AFL if he wanted to. Um, so where was he growing he up? Was, it was in Port Lincoln, in Sejuna. He had family, played in Wyala, um, all across the, the the west coast of South Australia, the far west coast of South Australia. And um, he ended up playing in Wyala, moved back to Port Lincoln with my grandmother, um, had all all these kids. My, my father was one of them, and my father was ended up being Eddie Betts as well. Oh, Edward Betts. So my grandfather's Edward Frederick Betts. Yep. My dad's Edward Robert Betts. I'm Edward Robert Betts Jr. And my son's just Eddie Betts. He's not Edward. He's just Eddie Betts. But um, no, nah, he 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 was a he was a great man. You know, he he did so much for his community back home in South Australia uh, and his family, and helped raise his family as well. And um, unfortunately, he, he passed away um, when I was younger, and he he was sick, and he, he went to the hospital in Port Lincoln. He, he asked for help. Uh, they didn't help him in the hospital and they sent him home and he was getting agitated at home and my grandmother, Nana Vita, and his daughters said, no, you need to go back up. There's something not right. So he went back up to the hospital. He said, listen, I need help. They didn't really help him. He was in the foyer pacing around. He's getting agitated. So they rang the police on him. Um, and they told the police that he was under the influence of alcohol, which he wasn't. So the police locked him up. They put him in a put him in a paddy wagon, took him down to Paul Lincoln Police Station, put him in the cells, and he was uh, he was screaming for help. He said he needed help. Somebody, please help me. He got lo- I think he got locked up about one o'clock in the afternoon, and about three or four o'clock, he passed away on the cells floor by himself of a heart attack in prison um, in in beyond bars. And so I that's that's. I guess the grandfather that I could have grown up with, um, he, you know, he, that could have been prevented. The hospital could have could have saved his life. The police could have intervened and said, "No, he needs help. He's not under the influence of alcohol." And uh, that was, yeah, a pretty, I guess, sad moment in in my life. And I didn't understand it until I got a bit older because I was a bit young at that stage. And well, you, you said in the book that you went. You, you and Anna went through all the reports, the mm. coroner from the yeah. coroner, etc., to find out all this background it's, detail. Yeah. yeah, so we went through the whole lot, and um, the more I talk about it, the more emotional I get because um, you know this is my grandfather. This is my name. Yep. 
this is Eddie Betts. I'm, this is the Eddie Betts that everyone knows. That's my grandfather's name. And I went through the whole coroner's report, read everything and did some more, um, I guess, investigating on the death of my grandfather. And I needed to bring it to life. I needed people to understand that when we speak about deaths in custody, speak about George Floyd over in America, that this is happening in Australia, in our own backyard. You know, there's over 500 deaths in custody. And I do a lot of talks, especially um, to organisations, the school, go around, and I, and I talk about that because it's truth-telling and people need to hear it. People need to hear the truth. And it may be uncomfortable for some people, but, you know, they they need to educate themselves to understand that this is happening in Australia and it's continuing to, to happen and it still is ongoing. And uh, I just need to bring awareness because my grandfather died in the cells crying for help and I just wish that he had a and I know I know that he'll be proud but I just wish that he could have came to a to a footy game hmm. and just hear not my name hear his name be chanted around a packed out stadium listening to his name you know uh, Adelaide Oval echo through through that stadium listening to being proud of his name making change in Australia when it comes to our people and trying to educate people and making it a lot easier for our next generation to come through. And I know that he, he would be super proud of, of me um, and I know my father is as well, but, yeah, I get a bit passionate. I get a bit emotional when I, when I talk about him because I just wish I could have spent more time with him. I'll get to the bits of your book that I found really confronting to read, and I was talking about it with Erica and the kids yesterday, trying to say, I, I don't know how to relate to this, but tell me about your upbringing. Where were you born and what was life like for a young Eddie Betts III? Well, I was born I was born in Port Lincoln. Uh, if people don't know where that is, that's where you do the great white shark diving here yeah. in Australia. Tuna fishing, yeah. home Tuna of fishing. Dean Lucan, the Dean 1984 Lucan, heavyweight, big weightlifter. Maccabi Divas. Maccabi Divas. Maccabi Divas got a statue. Yeah, of course. Racing yeah, of course. Down in town, so. Surely there's a statue of Eddie Betts. <laughs> nah, there would be. It should be on my grandfather. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, yeah, I grew up there, beautiful town. My mum and dad split up when I was younger, moved to Kalgoorlie, Western Australia, big mining town, uh, 800 kilometres inland from Perth, and I grew up there. I grew up most of my childhood there, growing up in, in Kalgoorlie. We moved to uh, we moved to Brimarang Crescent, hence why... It's the name of the book. The name of the book is The the Boy from Brimarang Crescent. It's my nana and papa's house, and um, they lived in a three-bedroom house, and, you know, my mum, my auntie my mum's brothers, my uncles, we all lived in that house. And it was just an amazing growing up in a house full of kids and just doing, we had no no PlayStation, no iPhones back then. It was just being playing outside. We had a, I remember cutting our hole in a crate, sticking it to the tree. And that was our basketball ring, you know, <laughs> shooting, shooting hoops at the back. And I was one of the youngest. So there was two other couple of younger boys that are younger than me, but everyone was older, all the older boys. And they, they were tough and they were challenging. They wouldn't let us beat them. But I was always determined to beat them and I tried my heart out to beat my older brothers, but they just couldn't beat them. But that's how I grew up, just competing. Yeah. I didn't even follow cricket, but we would pick up a bat with a tennis and throw the arm over and smacking the ball around in, in the backyard. Uh, we'd kick footy um, in the backyard and it was just, it was just free. That's but the hardest part was finding a bed. That was the hardest part. <laughs> there was a caravan in the back, you know, um, and you have to sit down early. You know, lack mattresses in the lounge room and everyone that's grown up, you know, 
living in community, you will know what it's like going to Nana and Papa's house and there's going to be <laughs> mattresses in the lounge room everywhere. Um, a good incentive to get to bed early if you, that's the only way to snag a bed, though. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's during the day you put a blanket and a pillow down. <laughs> that's, your, that's, that's you. Right. Yeah, I'm here. No one take this. <laughs> okay. And so, um, <laughs> no, nah, it, was, it, it was really fun. And it's like a, it's like a healing place. And that's why the name of the book meant so much because it's uh, that house is the house that we grew up in, the the healing place for all of our family, and that's Twelve Brimmerang Crescent, and that's why it's the boy from from Brimmerang Crescent. Back to Eddie in a sec. Lots of ashes content coming your way over the next few episodes. Your beauty, big name cricketers from both camps, but. Next up on the Howie Games, one of the most decorated AFL footballers of his generation, plus surfer, fisherman, media operator, players' representative and more, the Howie Games presents, for your listening pleasure, Patrick Dangerfield. P. Dangerfield, three votes. And I declare the winner of the 2016 Brownlow medal, Patrick Dangerfield of the Geelong Football Club. Danger! Oh! Footy now, Dangerfield. Oh, he's done it. Danger comes through inside the field of play. Outside of the boot. Bugger off. Oh, he's taking a best year. Bugger off, Danger. Number 35, Patrick Dangerfield. That's Patrick Dangerfield next up on the show. Let's get back to Eddie. Footy, where, where does... When do you first start playing for a footy team? Who's the first team you play for? It'd be Mines Rovers Football Club in Western Australia. What what type of jumper they wear? Uh, they were blue and okay. white. Blue and, blue white. and white. Um, and were you little? Were you little always or not? Oh, I, I, I played soccer before I played footy. So okay. I was quite playing for Boulder City. Right. I was very competitive. I remember I kicked 11, 12 goals in one game. In a game of soccer? Yeah, in a game of soccer. That's yeah. a day out. It was a day out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I was just hungry. I wasn't passing it to anyone. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then my dad, he... He he got out of he went to jail for three years when he came across to visit us in Kalgoorlie, and he um, got out of prison and he saw me playing soccer and he played for Mines Rovers Football Club as well as as older they called him the Wizard my father the Wizard the Wizard and so <laughs> he came out and said no no mate, you're not playing soccer you're you're playing footy the Wizard uh, but footy the soccer helped me because I helped me kick left and right foot yeah playing soccer um, but then you know they put me in a football play for Mines Rovers and then he went back to South Australia to Port Lincoln um, I played there for one year. Or well, maybe two years in the Mines Rovers Football Club. Moved back across to live with my dad in Port Lincoln. I played for the mighty Mallee Park Football Club, and that's an all Aboriginal side in Port Lincoln, the Mallee Park Football Club. And there's so much great talent that came out of there and played AFL footy. You know, the likes of Shawnee and Peter Burgoyne, Byron Pickett, huh. um, Cozzy Pickett, Lindsay Thomas, Harry Miller, who got drafted to Hawthorne, Derek Miller got drafted to Hawthorne, Marcus Pickett got drafted to Essendon. Um, Daniel Wells, Aaron Davey. All from this football club. All from this football club that all played within this football club. It's and were, a, were, you, were you, as a kid, were you a standout or were you just another junior footballer? I, <laughs> might sound embarrassing, but I think I, I, I was a standout. Yeah. But there were everyone there. Everyone was. It was high talent it, level. It was high talent level. It was really, really high talent level. And we we dominated most weeks. And, um, yeah, it was a special football club to be a part of. And, you know, hopefully I could 
help out that football club and help yeah. out the kids that are from there because most of those kids can play AFL footy but they just can't tend to leave that environment because we grew up in a bubble and like I spoke about, I grew up in a big family and, and I didn't really go to school and the reason because I didn't go to school, there was no black people in my class um, and I was uncomfortable because the bubble that I grew up in was all, with all black people and going to school, it was really uncomfortable for me. I was... Just didn't ask for help, didn't put my hand up. So I was just like, no, no, I'm not going to go. And so that was that was really tough. And to moving back and forth from Paul Lincoln to, to Kalgoorlie was really, really tough as well with, with the schooling aspect of it. And so I didn't step out of my comfort zone. And a lot of kids grow up in this bubble where it's family. And so they don't want to leave that comfort zone. They don't want to step out of this comfort zone. And so I urge them to, you know, if, if you want to make something with your life, you want to pursue something, whatever you do, and if you want to pursue something, everything's going to be uncomfortable. So you have to pursue and step out of that little bubble that you live in and step, step into the uncomfortable. I see there was two parts of your book, and you just touched on one that you, you didn't go to school that much, and you said quite clearly in your book you left year six, finished the schooling you'd done without being able to read or write. And I was talking about this from the kids, and then the bit that hit me, Eddie, was when you talked about you were in Carlton team meetings and there was things being drawn on the whiteboard and you couldn't read them. And from my background and when I grew up, it's almost inconceivable that someone can slip through the cracks in that way. But what is... Without being disrespectful, mate, what is life like when you move into the world and you don't have those skills? It is. It is tough. Uh, when I first, because um, I couldn't read and write properly um, and spell, I I didn't get drafted first. So all the kids went the, like the the national draft. Everyone got picked up before me. The rookie draft, people got picked up, and then. I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I, I so, so my, you, you'd come over to do some yeah. training, yeah? Yes, yeah, so I've came over. I was playing at Calder Cannons um, in the TAC Cup here in Victoria. So we moved over, and I moved over because Phil Cracker did a course. Phil and Jimmy, Phil and Jimmy Cracker both played for North Melbourne, but Phil yes. Cracker ran a football course at the Kangan Batman Tay from Broadmeadows, and there was a lot of kids from all over Australia coming for this course, and. We met some close friends in there, but we would do like kind of like school work from nine to twelve in TAFE, and then straight from twelve we'll just go and train footy. That I loved, and I love playing footy. Then I end up training for quarter cannons. I was the only one who got picked up out of that program to play in the TAC Cup. I played back to back in premierships for the quarter cannons, which when I first got the quarter, I saw Brock McLean, a few other Jackson Barling, there was a few other big boys there, and they're the same age as me, but I thought, oh, these guys, are they're, they're top eight, because I was a little skinny, shy <laughs> black kid coming into, like, again, another environment, because I came from a football club that was all black kids yep. into a team that I was the only black kid. So I was so uncomfortable for me, and I was so quiet, reserved, set back to myself, and I didn't really branch out, so it was really tough for me in that first year. But as I got to know the boys, I started to open up and become closer with them, um, with the Cool Cannon boys, and... Um, yeah, seeing all these big boys rock up and it, it was, I, I knew I had to start doing some weights then because I, <laughs> I never touched a weight in my life and ended up playing back-to-back premierships, didn't end up getting drafted, went to the national draft camp, um, didn't end up getting drafted. So, so, so do, you, do you hold that thought for a second? How, how you, you've talked about being uncomfortable and, and people having to be uncomfortable. What is the transition like from these small regional towns to 
Victoria, Melbourne, footy, weather, new people. Like how how big a step is all that? I think um, for me and what made it more comfortable, my family moved over with me. So my mum, my auntie, my sisters, okay. and a few other people. So there was like 15 of us living in a, another three-bedroom house in Glenroy. So you had home so, at the end so of the day. So I had a home at the end of the day. I had a comfort place to go. I had family here. And that's why, like, yes, it might have been tough during the day and going and, and training, but when I get home, there's my safety. Got there, there's my comfort space. You know? so, so the I don't feel homesick because I've got them there. And then, so the draft, you don't get picked up? So the d- draft. Are, are you watching the draft? Like, have you got your heart set on I'm it? listening to it on radio. My heart set on it. My name didn't get picked up. So I was like, oh, crap. What do I, what do, I do now? So, so what, was, what was next for you? Next was I packed up everything. I'm coming back to Kalgoorlie in Western Australia. A few of my cousins were working on the mines. You know, they're not, they're not sitting behind a desk. They're working on the tractors and, and doing all that. And I, I can't work behind a desk. I can't read. I can't write. I don't know how to work a computer. And so I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, um, try work on the mines. And so my, my heart was set on working on the mines in Kalgoorlie. <laughs> I got back to Kalgoorlie. Uh, I got back on a Tuesday. My 18th birthday was on a Saturday. My birthday is in November. And so that's when the draft was in November. Um, my family, my dad was coming across from South Australia to, to, my, to my 18th birthday. And Carlton rang me up on a Wednesday and said, we want to give you an opportunity to come back and train with the Carlton Football Club. No guarantees. Um, no guarantees, but I said, sweet, that's fine. Can we wait for Monday? <laughs> on my after, 18th the, birth- after the birthday. <laughs> after the birthday. Oh, I, I, like like you. I, got- <laughs> I like how bold you were, <laughs> Give me they a few said, days. They said, nah, mate, if you want to make something, get on a flight tomorrow and come back. I oh, see so you couldn't be there for your birthday. So I missed the birthday. I jumped on a flight on a Thursday. My parents still had a birthday without me on a Saturday. They celebrated, enjoyed it. Um, jump, jumped on a plane. I had like a little function for my birthday, which was nice before I got back on. Yep. And that was good. And then I, um, I trained with um, the, the Calm Football Club. Trent Noble was training at that time. Trent Noble, if you know one knows Trent Noble, he's a ruckman, a uh, big tall good. Rich Carlton needed a ruckman. And when the draft came, Trent Noble went number one to Richmond, but he was training at Carlton. Oh. Went number one in the preseason draft. So Carlton were, told me that they were going to pick me up um, later on. And so Carlton had number three. They were going to pick Trent Noble up in that draft. And they said, okay, well, Trent Noble's gone. Who do we get? And Dennis, I remember they would say to me, Dennis said, we'll get the next best person that we we're going to get. And so they ended up picking me up at number number three in the preseason which draft, which put me straight on the senior list. Sliding doors. Yeah, sliding. And when I remember walking through, walking through the doors, I remember the property short Bulldog, his name was Wayne. His name, we called him Bulldog. And he was, a, he was hard. He wouldn't let you get any gear from him. Um, and he looked at me when I walked through, he goes, oh, gee, that's a big Ruckman. Because <laughs> <laughs> Carlton were going for a Ruckman at that time. Right. And, and um, yeah, it was, uh, from then on, was the uh, was happiest boy, you know, knowing that I've been picked up by, if not the biggest club in the AFL, um, by the Carlton Football Club. And it was really tough times, my first first year, knowing that. We're losing. I won two wooden spoons with, with the with the Carlton Football Club, but we weren't succeeding and it wasn't really that fun. There was always pressure on the Carlton Football Club yep. coming through those early days. But but you you like when you got so you're talking November, you turned eighteen. But you play round one the next year. Yeah, So all, you must have done a something pretty good over summer. All I all I did was come out, chase, train, 
tackle. I, I remember one time too, I caught Fev in, in, in a handball game and I tackled him holding the ball and he got angry and he like grabbed me and like slammed me to the ground. Big Fev did. Big Fev did. <laughs> uh, but I remember um, Brett, Th- uh, Brett Thornton, T-Bird, came over and scruffed like Fev, get off him, leave him, he's only young. And um, at that time, you got, you got thrown in with the deep end. You got thrown, you, you're not, when it comes, when you speak about people getting drafted, there's like fitness guys now and they ease these young kids into these running programs. Not, not us back then. We got chucked straight in with Kuda, with, with Camperali, with all these wow. midfielders and you're doing the same running as them. And it was hard, but I ended up, you know, I forged my little group with Fev and Whitnall because we we're always down the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who was your first game? My first game was North Melbourne. First game with North Melbourne. First opponent. I read this in the book, but you tell me in your yeah, words. My first opponent was the toughest man in AFL history. Um, <laughs> Glenn Archer. Glenn Archer. If no one knows, he played <laughs> for North Melbourne. He's three times the size of you, Eddie. He is three times the size. And I looked up and that's when I said Archer and Betts. And I was like, what the actual <laughs> F? So you've seen that up on the board. I threw it up on the board. There were some big words up on the board. I didn't understand. And all I know is they play footy, you know. And, and I was just white as a ghost. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> And Dennis asked me a question in the meeting and I kind of like, uh, uh, and muddled my words and everyone started laughing. It kind of broke the ice for me. I wasn't as nervous after that. And so, yeah, by walking out, like I've always went to, what do we call it, Telstra Dome back then. So I yep. always went to Telstra Dome and watched Byron picket play, sitting in the stands. I'm like, maybe one day, you know, I might have the opportunity if I'm good enough. And fair enough, I ended up walking out and the crowd was all going and I was like looking around thinking, wow, this is... This is special. <laughs> and then someone out there, Ed, shh, stop looking at the crowd. Get into the game. Come on. <laughs> Bets to run onto it. They need something special. Can Eddie deliver? Have a look at that for the first goal of your career. What a beauty. Eddie played the cards and came up trumps. Well, D- Dennis Pagan told me on radio recently that Eddie Betts has got something special, that he can do things that some players can't do and won't be able to do. We were down by 30. I kicked the goal and I ran to the crowd on the boundary and I put my hands up and I celebrated. And big, big Whitnall goes, Ed, 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 put me straight back in line. Ed, shh, don't celebrate. We're 30 points down. Just, just keep, it, keep it to a minimum. Wait till we come back. And then, and so, you know, I was like, yes, we're fair enough. But I, I, kicked, the, I kicked the goal. I'm excited, man. I'm happy. So, so that's your first game. We, we, we sort of started this journey from, when I said there was a couple of things that really hit me between the eyes. What type of courage does it take, Ed, to speak up to people in a group and say, I need to learn to improve my reading, my writing, my comprehension. Yeah, it's, uh, it was tough and I was really embarrassed and I didn't speak up in front of the group. I went and I, I think I went to Shane O'Sullivan first who's still at the football club and I spoke to Shane and said, listen, um, I can't read, I can't write, I can't understand what's going on. I need to do literacy and numeracy classes. I need to somehow do that and end up eventually then the boys found out, told the boys and then we ended up doing one-on-one tutoring um, with a tutor for the next three years and just helping me to read, helping me to write, helping me to spell. Um, and I did that on my day off on a Thursdays when, when the day off was or whatever day it, it fell on. I remember going in and I, and I actually still catch up with these tutors now. I don't catch up with them, but I see them every mm. now and then around the street and I always give them a hug and say, hello, how are you doing? And um, and it's, yeah, it's when I think about that, I... I it, it took, I guess, a lot of courage. A tremendous I, amount of courage. Because I 
because I, I was embarrassed, you know, and so even to this day, I'm still learning big words, you know, I'm still learning, thank God for autocorrect on your phone, that helps you spell a bit more, but, um, <laughs> helps us all, you know, it, it, it helped me a lot in those first three years to do literature and, and numeracy classes, but I, I grew a lot from those three years and started, because I need to understand, you know, what contracts mm. were put in front of me, you need to understand how to pay my bills, I didn't know how to pay my bills, I had to tell your bill or phone bill, I didn't know how to pay that, any bill, gas bill, I was, any, any sort of bill that come away, I didn't understand any of it. So I needed to start learning and, and growing up and start being independent because I was living away now for my family. I was living in with, with Jake Edwards and Paul Bauer um, at the time. Are you living with Jake Edwards? He was one of the very first guests on this podcast, yeah, Jake. Yeah, Jake Edwards. I live with, with, with Jake and, and, and Paul Bauer. And so I had to grow up really, really fast. Um, but from then onwards now, I so my journey... And when I speak about that educational part, um, the message that I give to young Aboriginal kids, especially within communities, because a lot of kids within these communities, it is hard going to school, but the attendance rates within this school are really low with Aboriginal kids. So they see, and, and you know, I've been told this, that they see me as an out. A lot of kids can play footy. A lot of good kids are great at footy, but they hear my story. They say, oh, Ed didn't go to school. Ed couldn't read or write, but Ed played footy. So that's what I could do. Mm. And when I see these kids and when I go speak to Aboriginal kids within the community, I, I tell them, please, stay at school, finish your education, you know, you're, you're a leader, you're already, you're already a born leader, you know, looking after your little siblings, growing up in big families, um, you'll be a role model, you know, to these kids, you graduate year, year 12, you'll be a role model for your younger siblings. You know, I've got a big family of first cousins, so all my brothers and sisters, about 18, 19 of us, and only one graduated year 12. Only one, and that was a big achievement for our family. That uh, Sky Han, her name was Sky, graduated year twelve, which was so proud um, that she'd done that. And um, you know, I go to these kids and I said, "Stay in school. Education is the key. Sport is not the key, because if you don't get picked up playing AFL footy and you don't have education, where do you what do you fall back onto? Mm. Where do you go from here? If you have the education behind you, you can chase whatever you want to chase. You can become a, a doctor. You can go to university. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you have the education behind you. I said I was one of the lucky ones. I was really, really lucky and it's rare that what I did to, to get through these cracks and slip through these cracks to make something with my life, um, I kind of pinched myself that where I sit now to where it all began and where I started because I was lucky and there was a few sliding doors moments. And um, so for these kids, and that's why my foundation is important for these young kids is that I want to help them bridge that gap and push them into education to make it feel safe for them. So they go to school, they graduate, they get an education and then sports second. If you want to play AFL, like for my kids, mm. I, I want my kids to get an education. I want my kids to get the education that I didn't have. Um, I want them to be confident standing up in front of classrooms and speaking um, in front of anyone and speaking because I didn't do that. And um, sport will be on the back burner. The message that I say, especially young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids is education is the key um, and continue to stay at it. That is the end of Eddie Betts Part A. Plenty more to come in Part B.